There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, this is our last episode of 2021. It is. Hard to believe. Very hard to believe. And we're going to take our annual, I say annual because this is the second year right. that we're going to do it in a row. Exactly. Our annual one-week break from our podcast. And we'll pick it up again mid-January. Sounds good. And it's hard to believe that here we are in 2021, the end of 2021, going into 2022. And based on current events, Greg, it kind of feels a lot like 2020 all over again. It does. As we're recording here, Omicron has now become the most prevalent strain of the COVID. And yeah, it's deja vu all over again. Yeah. So is it 2022 or is it 2022 as in kind of like 2020? Again. Also, yeah, it <laughs> uh, could be. I don't know. I'm feeling some COVID fatigue these days. I don't know. How about you? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And part of the problem too, is you get these false starts. Well, it felt like things were starting to open up again and then they get slammed shut, you know, particularly for things like travel, which we're all eager to do. Yep. It's just been taken off the table. Well, listen, for the second year in a row, we're going to go over various themes from the past year. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about COVID per se, but we want to talk about things that are in the news. Like there's lots of publications this time of year where people come out with their lists of things to buy for the next year, right? Different investment themes to focus on. All of the prognosticators come out and give their predictions. And it's kind of like when Punxsutawney Phil pops his head out in Punxsutawney, Philadelphia to give his update on whether or not there will be, what is it, six or eight more weeks of winter? Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. kind of that, right? So, so we're going to look back at 2020's predictions for 2021 and see how they made out. Yeah, and there's definitely some hits and some misses. So let's get into it. Okay, the first one I want to look at is based on themes. And there was an, an article put out at the end of 2020 by Forbes, and it was the top 10 investment themes for 2021, which, you know, I guess lots of people would have focused on, right? Yep. I won't go through all 10, but there was one item there. It said, and I'm going to quote it, as effective vaccines and therapeutics are now becoming available, I believe that the overriding macro theme of 2021 will be the reopening of the global economy. Mm -hmm. That was right for a while. Absolutely. It was absolutely right. And now it's not. So was it right or was it just right in the moment and now it's Wrong or wrong in the Well, you moment. know, um, when you look at when these these articles came out, probably, I would guess, December or so, yep. the vaccines had already been developed. Like, so they weren't in broad use yet, but everybody knew that the vaccines were coming. And, of course, the assumption was, while the vaccines are coming, people are going to line up 100% to get their shot and to move on with life. Yep. And, again, that's one of those things that would have been easy to predict but the thing that would have been more difficult to predict is what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was very rational 
expectation. Yep. Okay, so just a couple points from that article. Point three, I notice I've skipped the first two. <laughs> Point three, transformational technologies for a transforming society. And I'm going to quote this again. Society will likely continue to communicate, work, shop, and educate more remotely than they have ever before. That's true. Yep, right on. Right? Like that's absolutely happened. Even in the, the day and age where if you happen to get quarantined for some reason, most people... I shouldn't say most, a lot of people, if they're working or in school, can still do that stuff online now. That's right. right? Yep. So I would say that 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 was right. Yep. Point four was more exponential growth for e-commerce. I would say that's true as well. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, look at all of the, well, it's almost the downfall of brick and mortar stores these days, right? Yeah. I mean, most shopping, again, I shouldn't use the word most, a lot of shopping is being done through e-commerce. That's right. Right. And I think what we've seen is that, you know, there's certainly pent up demand for people to get out, you know, and I happened to be in one of the large shopping malls in in Calgary a couple of weeks ago, and it was pretty busy in there. So I think there's still probably is room for brick and mortar, you know, and will be for the foreseeable future. But there's no question that e-commerce has grown exponentially and likely will continue to grow. Yep. Yeah, I think they got that one right. Number five was smaller caps positioned to outperform larger caps. Now, when you say smaller caps, what are we talking about there? Well, you know what we're talking about. I do. But but you want me to explain it? Yes, I do. Smaller companies are poised to outperform larger companies in stock price or stock returns. And this was right until it was wrong, right? So they were absolutely right that from September of 2020 to March of 2021, the small cap index in the U.S. was up about 69%. Yeah, that's a good number. That is a good number. So three times the return of large companies. Mm -hmm. But since March, they've actually leveled off and aren't returning at the same levels, which actually makes sense if you think about economic cycles or stock market cycles, right? We are coming out of a bear market Mm -hmm. in 2020, And it's usually small companies that lead the charge out of those bear markets, right? And particularly after a long period of underperformance, which they had, you know, if you look back prior to, you know, the few years prior to coming out of the COVID recession, if you will, you know, they had underperformed and the larger mega cap companies had really outperformed, you know, particularly in the technology area, but other large companies as well. Well, and you're going to get into some of those in a bit. I will indeed. Okay, just one more point I want to talk about. It was point six, international equities return to prominence. So what they were talking about is that, well, international stock markets are going to outperform domestic stock markets. Domestic in this case being the US because it's a US article, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how did they do? Well, the EFI index, which is Europe, Australasia, and the Far East, did grow over the past 12 months around 7%, Uh give or take, right? Which, by the way, over 100 years of stock market returns, is probably about average. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The S&P 500, the domestic market in this case, grew by about 24 or 25%. So they were right in a way, like international equities did return what we would expect them to return. Right. But no more. So let me ask you a question. Does that mean we should not be buying international stocks? Are you asking me to give you some specific advice, Greg? (laughs) More general advice. Well, I'm going to give specific advice. Listen, you need to have international stocks in your portfolio just for diversification purposes. 
So, Greg, are we recommending international stocks? Yes, we are. Yeah, of course we are. are we, it's kind of like saying, are we recommending bonds? Are we recommending domestic stocks? Of course we are. And I think it highlights what we've talked about in, in the last couple of podcasts about risk and expected return. And there's no reason to expect that international markets would do significantly less than U.S. markets or Canadian markets at any point. Our expectation over time is that they will all do well. And, uh, but we know that having exposure to those kinds of stocks or geographic locations can be beneficial and can add diversification to a portfolio. And actually, and there will be years, I would expect, where international stocks outperform. For sure. And we want to be exposed to those areas rather than being concentrated in one, in one area. So just because it underperformed the S&P 500 doesn't mean we shouldn't own that investment because who knows what it'll do next year. Well, and the S&P 500 isn't the whole market. Exactly. Right. So that's right. I mean, there is a, there's some work that's been done that shows that if you have an asset allocation that includes Canadian, US, international equities, along with bonds, you lower your volatility than if you just have all US or all Canada or right. all international. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Well, listen, I want to talk a little bit about, and you know, and again, uh, this can seem too easy. And what I'm talking about is, is looking at the top picks for the upcoming year, top stock picks. But I wanted to make a point here. And the point is that looking at articles about the top picks for 2021 or 2022, whatever, those kind of articles attract a lot of attention. People want to know, where should I put my money? And these are smart guys writing these lists. And so we should do what they say. And this one is kind of an interesting one. And this one is published last December 21st of 2021, exactly a year ago today. Of 2020. Of 2020, that's right. So yeah. uh, exactly a year ago as of this recording. And it was by a, a very popular online publication, you like know, a stock blog, picking almost. publications. I won't give the exact name, but it, the synonym would be something like Raggedy or Diverse Idiot. Okay. okay. That's the name of the company. But anyway... So before we dive into the article, and the author starts by saying this, which is, you know, the disclaimers, two caveats. One was choosing the best stocks to buy today depends heavily on your personal financial situation. We couldn't agree more. You can't recommend a stock unless you actually know the individual's personal financial situation. And, and that, in fact, becomes the, the very basis for any stock recommendations that we're, in fact, allowed to make. And so you need to read their guide on how to invest in stocks, you know, which outlines some of their ways to manage risk. And then the second point they make leading up to these 21 stock picks for 2021 was to say, the list isn't meant to be fully diversified. Instead, they're my highest conviction stocks to outperform in 2021 and beyond. But they acknowledge the best one-step way to diversify your holdings is to build the core of your portfolio around something like the Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund, basically, which is just an exchange-traded fund that invests in thousands and thousands of stocks from around the world. Yeah. Now, are we recommending that particular Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund? Not specifically. In fact, we couldn't recommend anything on this podcast without being able to talk to an individual and know exactly what their situation is. We're but, just, but we would recommend that people have diversified holdings. Exactly, exactly. And so, so the interesting thing is the author identifies that if you could only buy one thing, one thing at all, it would be this globally diversified stock index fund. Yeah. 
However, let's go to the list of the best 21 stocks to buy for 2021. And so these are some of the stocks they name. And I'm going to mention a bunch. Well, no, wait, we have to give our own disclaimer here. Oh, Are yes. we recommending any of these stocks, Greg? Absolutely not. No. And we don't, as you know, we don't recommend stocks on this podcast. We recommend broad investment strategies, but not individual stocks. And we could never recommend anything without understanding exactly what our clients or what an investor's personal financial situation looks like. Okay, give their us risk the risk tolerance, their risk capacity. Anyway, let's look at some of the names on this list iRobot, Upwork, Fiverr, Redfin, Beyond Meat, Etsy, Teladoc Health, Zillow Group, Pinterest, Roku, Altria Group, Mercado Libra, Intuitive Surgical, Square, C Limited, Philip Morris, Salesforce, Walt Disney, Berkshire Hathaway, Bitcoin, and Amazon. So first of all, there is kind of a common theme there. Technology figures quite prominently in that list. There's also some surprises. Altria Group, which is the old Philip Morris, you know, the tobacco tobacco company. Funny how that would make it on the list, but it certainly is there. So those are the top 21 to perform well in 2021 and beyond. So how did they do? Well, on average, when you look at the returns of all of those, on average, over the 21 stocks, negative 8.3%. Doesn't seem too good. Doesn't seem too good. The S&P 500, as you mentioned, was up about 24% over the last year. And even the single one stock to buy, if you could buy only one, a total world market index, up 13.5%. Well, that seems better than down minus 8.3%. It does seem better. You know, interesting on that list, though, too, is one item you mentioned. You mentioned Bitcoin. Yes. Well, Bitcoin's not a stock. Bitcoin's not a stock. (laughs) How did it make a top stocks to own list? Well, you know, I guess that's just, you don't buy it as a stock. I guess it would be like having gold on the list. Instead of a gold stock, you might just have gold bullion or something. But the goal here is not to laugh heartily at how some of these picks worked out. The goal is to really understand what's going on here. So the author had it right. You know, this is not a diverse portfolio. It's quite concentrated in U.S. stocks and in technology. And the other common element, let's pick out a couple of names. Pinterest. Okay, so Pinterest did negative 44% in 2021. Not too good. But the year before, in 2020, it was up 350%. Well, amazing that it's on the list then. Exactly. You know, and, and here's Redfin, which I don't actually know what Redfin does, but they were down 41% this past year, but they were up 325% the prior year. So another one of the themes in these lists seem to be, well, these are stocks that have done really well last year. And the argument will always be, and they're poised to continue that excellent performance next year. And I think that's where a lot of these predictions for the next year go wrong. And that is just relying heavily on last year's performance. And as you know, with mutual funds are always marketed with a disclaimer that past performance is no guarantee of future results. And the same is true, whether you're, you're picking stocks or whether you're buying a mutual fund. It sounds a lot like a momentum factor they've built in there. Like of the stocks that did well in 2020, they just sort of assumed would continue on that momentum. That's right. You know, and, and some of these names actually had, you know, had a good result. What's the, wait, what's the top performing one? The top performing one is Etsy, and up it, 27%. So the top performing pick out of 21 picks yeah. was up... Well, how much? 27%, only slightly more than the index as a whole. Yeah, yeah. 
There's another top performer, Intuitive Surgical, was up 28%. And here's an interesting one, Berkshire Hathaway, up 26%. Now, what's Berkshire Hathaway? I would argue it's a diversified portfolio of individual companies because that's what Berkshire Hathaway owns. So again, I think when you look at this, the author suggested that the single best thing to do would be to buy a broadly diversified index ETF, global index ETF with thousands of stocks, and it performed 13.5%. So maybe it would have been better to stop there as opposed to presenting these, what I would call shiny objects that look like, oh man, these things could really you know, could really fly. You know, we missed out on 350% last year, but we're not going to miss out this year. And that just highlights the risk of that kind of stock picking. Now, listen, anybody that wants to own any of those individual names, you could still do it. You could do it through a core and satellite strategy, right? Yep. So even to the author's point, you could own that broad-based ETF as your core. For sure. And still have a few of those names as satellite positions, smaller positions. and And, you know, and that's something that we often tell our clients is like, There's nothing wrong with having some thematic investments that you just like. You know, lots of people personally like certain themes or have a strong belief in certain themes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just control the amount of risk that you're exposing you to with those individual stock selections. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, let's talk about Warren Buffett for a minute, because you mentioned Berkshire Hathaway. I did. Warren Buffett gives us timeless advice all the time these days about the S&P 500 specifically. He's a staunch supporter of index funds, which actually many people don't know, you know, so what does he say to people that are new to investing, you know, that want to sort of replicate what he's been able to accomplish as he says, look, consistently buy an S&P 500 low cost index fund, keep buying it through thick and thin, and especially through the thin. Well, that doesn't sound like the Warren Buffett of old. Well, and that's right. And people hold out Warren Buffett as one of the great value investors of all time, following in the footsteps of his teacher, Benjamin Graham, who was the father of value investing. And basically, he acknowledges, as Benjamin Graham acknowledged, that, you know what, for most people, it's just not realistic to think that they can do that. Yeah, yeah. So a couple other money managers that are in the news these days, there's a guy named Bill Miller. Remember Bill Miller? I do. He ran the, what's it called? The Leg Mason Value Trust Fund in the US, pre-global credit crisis. And for 15 years, he beat, his performance beat the S&P 500 for 15 straight years. There was a book about him, The Man Who Beat the S&P. Yeah. Yeah. And then in year 16, he was really wrong and all of the return was given back. And subsequently, a few years after that, he was let go. But he's back in the news again because his his current fund, the Miller Opportunity Trust, is outperforming the S&P 500, and it's getting lots of recognition for doing that. But what is this, Greg? Is this a resurgence of Bill Miller? Is it just another part of a cycle? Well, you wonder if it's, you know, people don't go from being smart to being stupid to being smart again. They're usually, I would think their intelligence is pretty consistent from year to year. But what does change are market cycles. Sure. And that actually leads into... Another money manager you were going to bring up, her name is Kathy Wood. Yeah, she's getting a lot of press this last year, running the ARK Innovation ETF, a number of these ARK ETFs, A-R-K and A-R-K-K is the flagship ETF. It gets a lot of attention because in 2020, it had stellar returns, right? Like it was up a lot. It was, you know, like 100% or more. Yeah, and I think it attracted something like, 
$9.5 billion in 2020 flowed into that ETF because of that performance. Mm-hmm. But this year, not so good. The last 12 months, it's got a negative return of about 25%. Yeah. And here's the problem. And listen, Kathy Wood might be a fantastic investor and portfolio manager, but probably up until 2020, nobody had heard of her. She's been around for years, but nobody had really heard of her in 2020. So what is it that caught people's attention? Well, of course, it was for stellar returns. Yeah. And that's that's usually what happens is you is people notice, well, wait a second, you know, there's lots of, and did they notice it by doing their own research? Nope. They usually look, you know, see in the financial press. There's an article or multiple articles about Kathy Wood and her ARC Innovation Fund or her ARC Genomics Fund or her ARC Digital Currency Fund or whatever it might be, digital finance. And so as people notice it, and then they think, wait a second, geez, I've missed out on 130% return or whatever it was. I'm not going to miss out on that again. That was, you know, I'm getting on board. And sure enough, it did not do as well. And that's not because Kathy Wood became stupid after having been smart in 2020. It's that probably the massive run-up in, in a lot of the stocks in the portfolio maybe got ahead of themselves. Maybe the prices got ahead of themselves. Maybe people started to take a look at reallocating from, from technology names or biotech names into more of the value names that had been sort of overlooked for all those, those years. And I think that's the problem is, you know, it's like any mutual fund. You can't buy last year's returns. Yeah. It's just too bad because if you could, I'd be buying this one. Well, I mean, remember in Back to the Future 2, I think it is? Oh, where yeah. Where Biff Tanner yes. steals <laughs> the sports results magazine. Yes. Yep. And goes back in time and places all the bets and becomes a very wealthy person. Exactly. Right? It'd be great to be able to do that. Yeah. As soon as somebody builds a time machine, I'm going to be the first one on board. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I don't think they make DeLoreans anymore. No, that's right. Right? Or yeah. if they do, they're, they're not that, I don't know, well-driven. Exactly. Okay, one more and last person who's been in the news recently, Harry Dent. Harry Dent wrote a book in the early 2000s, like in 1999, I think, or 2000 itself, saying the roaring 2000s, how the Dow Jones was going to go to, was it 40,000 points during the, the 2000s? And he was so wrong. Well, and what was the return of, I think the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2009 returned negative 0.9% a year. Yeah. Over 10 years. That's not, that's not roaring. Yeah. So he followed that up when he was completely wrong with the Great Depression ahead or something like that, a book, yeah. something like that, about how things were going to be just awful after 2009 going forward. Yeah. And again, he was so wrong, Greg. Yes. <laughs> and and the only thing I can tell you is I read an article recently where he is expecting that 2022 will will usher in one of the worst, you know, financial periods of our lifetimes. Well, then I'm a buyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is he's known as the contrarian's contrarian, so I don't know if that Wait. makes him a non-contrarian or uh or, If you're or a contrarian's contrarian, that's too double that's too negative. Exactly. A negative times a negative is a positive. So he must be an optimist. I think he's an optimist. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Listen, I want to bring up one thing. There was an interesting theme that occurred last year, and it, it picks up on the technology theme a little bit. But, uh, of course, everybody's heard of Tesla. Yeah. Tesla, far and away, is the most visible electric vehicle company in the world. And based on its market capitalization right now, it's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of a trillion dollars. 
A trillion. Big number. That's a big number. Now, there was a new IPO that came out back in November, a company called Rivian. Rivian is another electric vehicle company. It's been in development for, for years, and, and they're starting to manufacture vehicles. And in fact, in 2021, by the end of this year, they're expected to have sold 1,200 Wait, vehicles. 1,200 vehicles? That's correct. Okay, yeah. And I'm assuming that the expectation is 2022 will be dramatically better than that, but certainly in the hundreds of thousands, not more. So when Rivian was launched, and Rivian, by the way, had both Ford and Amazon had held positions in Rivian. When Rivian went public, the shares surged 29% after the IPO. And in fact, it resulted in at the peak, Rivian shares being worth $100 billion dollars. Now, $100 billion is starting to not sound like a lot when you're talking about companies like Tesla with a trillion-dollar market cap, but $100 billion makes Rivian more valuable than General Motors, which tracks in at about, I don't know, $78 or $80 billion of market cap, and Ford, which is something in the same, in the same general vicinity, $70, $80 billion. So GM, just for comparison, so Rivian is selling 1,200 vehicles in 2021. GM sold 6.8 million vehicles in 2020. Ford sold 4.2 million vehicles in 2020. And if just for fun, Volkswagen and Toyota each sold over 9 million vehicles in, in 2020. Rivian sold zero. So are we saying that Rivian is not going to be a company the size of GM or Ford one day? I have no idea. But based on current sales and sales expectations and the fact that all of the large car makers, GM, Ford, Volkswagen, and Toyota, are all investing heavily in electric vehicles, where would you predict the majority of cars to be made? I don't know, and I'm not making a prediction, but you do have to ask yourself the question is, could this company be worth as much as established car makers like GM, Ford, Volkswagen, and Toyota? Well, $100 billion divided by 1200 is something like $83 million per vehicle. <laughs> that's that's so right. Are they selling the vehicles for $83 million each? Well, and, and listen, lots of money has been made over the decades by investing in, in startups. new companies and startups. And by the way, it's one of the reasons why small companies over time tend to have outperformed is because all of the large companies of today were small companies once other than Rivian, which became a, a mega company the day it started trading. But so sure, it's not that you know there might be great opportunities down the road, but it's hard to argue that that number makes sense. And we'll only know in the future whether it makes sense or not. So are we saying that's a ridiculous number for the value of Rivian? It seems like it today, but it might not be. But only time will tell. But are we recommending people go out and buy Rivian shares, Colin? No. <laughs> could you be more precise <laughs> i don't know 83 million dollars per vehicle in sales <laughs> no and we're not i don't know being hard on rivian as its own it's just i don't know it's as we started this episode off by saying like this is the time of year where you have all of the themes that come out for the next year yeah. right yeah. and themes tend to repeat themselves right or, you know, they may not exactly repeat themselves, but they certainly rhyme, yep. right? Yep. The point is that nobody knows what the top stock will be for 2022. I don't care which list you, you read about it. Nobody really knows, right? right? 
Nobody knows which sector will be the top performing sector exactly. People have their ideas, but nobody really knows, right? So what do people do going? Let's give our outlook for 2022, Greg. What should investors do in 2022? Well, and before we do that, let me just take one minute to say, despite, you know, kind of our, our joking around and, and it's easy pickings, you know, to look back and, and say how predictions were wrong. And again, the point is not to pick on anyone in particular, but to pick on the process itself, the whole concept of making predictions about the future. Because if you look at last year, and we want to end this on a positive note before we get into our predictions for 2022, I'd say it was a pretty good year. Like, look at all the good stuff that happened. They did come up with a vaccine or multiple vaccines, which are very effective against COVID. They're developing treatments for COVID that look like they're very promising, which means that as we go forward, even if people do get COVID, the symptoms can be managed and hopefully avoid really negative outcomes. The markets did fantastically well. The Canadian stock market, it looks like it's going to close the year up, I don't know, something in the 20%-ish range. The U.S. market up 25, even international markets, which, you know, did not outperform, but still pulled in a almost a 7% return. That's not bad. Yeah. Diversified portfolios that held both stocks and bonds did pretty well, you know, uh, certainly more than you would expect from just pure diversified portfolios. So it was actually a pretty good year from an investment standpoint. It was, but... So what's going to happen next year? Yeah, what's going to happen? That's all good, but what are we going to do for this next year? Well, if I had to be a betting man, I would say that we expect stocks to outperform bonds. We expect diversified portfolios to, to balance risk against expected return and to help investors go through what may turn out to be tough times. We expect that financial planning will be the cornerstone of most people's investment strategies because how can you even pick an investment strategy if you don't know what the goal is? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you got? I think that's about it. Like you heard it here first. Our expectations for this next year are that it will probably be good unless it's not. Right. Uh <laughs> well, and, and listen, anything can happen. Yeah. You know, we... It's impossible to say we expect a bear market to occur, but we have to remain open to the possibility because bear markets come around quite regularly. Right. But the one thing we can be certain of, Greg, is that as long as somebody is doing the proper planning and has that in place, they've positioned themselves for whatever the market might be going forward. For instance, do we believe that anyone can control the return from their portfolios? I don't think so. Can anyone control the risk in their portfolios? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You control risk in the ways that we've talked about endlessly on this. You can control the amount of diversification you have. You can control your exposure to stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, you know, the major asset classes. And by doing that, you can manage the volatility. You can't eliminate volatility in any way, but you can decide whether you want your portfolio to be more volatile or less volatile. And you can control the costs in your portfolio. Beyond that, it's up to the markets. Well, maybe we should sign off there on that note for the year. Say Happy New Year to everyone. Absolutely. I hope that it's a, a safe one for all. And we're looking forward to getting, getting things going again in 2022. Exactly. And we'll catch you middle of January. We will. 
Everyone have a safe, happy, and healthy new year. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2021.